having your own D2C site is going to give you also a broader reach. And whether you're using paid search, SEO, social marketing, whatever pieces you're going to go here. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, part of the amazing FBA family of podcasts. This one is for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon sellers. Now, Amazon seller, what does that mean? It means an e-commerce seller who sells on Amazon, quite probably wants to sell elsewhere, but doesn't get to do because they suck at starting a D2C site. So that's what we're going to try and solve for you today. I have clients who are doing millions of dollars or pounds on Amazon and they just cannot get the direct consumer site to get revenue or if they do they can't get a profit out of it so this is a very real problem for many people I know and they're desperate to get off but they can't Robert thank you so much first of all for coming on the show come and rescue us here our poor suffering Amazon sellers thanks for coming on poor poor sellers yeah thank you for having me I really appreciate it it's a hard topic for folks that are sitting there on these marketplaces because they're used to a certain way of doing business and absolutely yeah, you got to think about a whole different mindset. And so I, I get it. In my world, we approach this issue from the opposite direction. We've got all of our clients. Yes, some of them are selling on Amazon or other marketplaces, but the majority are not. And and they're D2C or it looks like they're, re- okay, there we go. And, and it looks like they, they have almost as hard a time bridging the gap, getting to Amazon or any of the marketplaces. So I don't think your audience is alone in the, in the struggle in either direction. And it's a very interesting topic for us too. It's very interesting to go on, but to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so if you're used to selling on Amazon, it's hard to imagine that other people don't perceive the same opportunity you do. And I guess the same for the D2C side of the table. Yeah. So tell us in some very brief uh, terms, what is it that you do and what is it that Iron Plane does? Yeah, yeah I appreciate the question. It's, it's been an interesting history. I, I got started in e-commerce back in 96, almost by accident. I was, I was in Russia at the time, which is a bit ironic at the moment, but I came across this amazing chess set. Uh, this guy was selling at the market, just handcrafted, right? Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And and I had been fiddling around with HTML and all of a sudden front page came out, which I don't even remember this tool, but you could actually drag and drop and build an e-commerce website, wired up to PayPal. And I don't even think we had security certificates at the time. And so I did this I, and I took some pictures. My wife and I, we got this thing up there and gone. If two weeks later, a uh, ski slope in Vancouver bought it sight unseen for $10,000. And I'm like, well, Oh, there's something to this e-commerce thing. And, and so that started this journey over the years of buying and selling and building e-com sites. I'd been selling on Amazon in the earliest days. I think I had one company that I was consulting for that got kicked off Amazon because they didn't fulfill in time. I, I, and I was on eBay and we did all these kind of marketplace things. And then we started building our own sites bigger and better and started to get asked to do that by our vendors and partners. And this is where Iron Plane 
was born and we became very much an e-commerce platform, website development company, but focused on e-commerce very specifically. And then, and very early we focused on Magento as a platform, but have since branched into one other platform plus custom. So we also do big commerce for people that don't need the complexity and the size of Magento. They can get onto a platform like a big commerce and a lot of folks can do very well there. So that's where, that's our basic history. Wow. And by the way, congratulations on compressing a pretty long history into a short time. And that's a extraordinary <laughs> level of depth of background you got there. So you've had a, you've done a, a go at marketplaces and you've come to your own uh, D2C site. So I'm not going to try and assume that your reasons were the same as the listeners, but I guess I should ask why. Why we did D2C versus yeah, the marketplaces. Exactly. Well, in my earliest days, I owned a restaurant and that restaurant, did, well, it ultimately didn't do very well. It was one of my not very happy moments in business. But one of the things I learned early on in that business was that it was very popular at a moment. And then all of a sudden the landlord came and was going to raise my rent significantly because he realized that we were doing well. And it, this is where I learned this early lesson of I me. Mean, if you build in somebody else's yard, you lose control. And if my entire livelihood is based on that, very risky. And so I think when I started building and talking with businesses, I always said, look, you want to be in these marketplaces. You've got to be in these marketplaces, like being in the mall but it's where people are, but you don't want to have your entire business there, particularly if you're growing and growing, you've got to start to have some control over your destiny. And this is why I, I always encourage companies to make sure they've got their own direct to consumer, that they can start to control their brand messaging, that they can start to build longer term relationships with those clients. It doesn't have to be an all or none. Most of our clients have come from D to C first, but it does, it doesn't matter which direction you go, but I think you got to spread out. Yeah. I like that a lot. And one thing you just said is, uh, you need to be in the marketplaces because that's quotes where the people are. And that's often um, been used as an argument I've heard from a lot of Amazon focused people. Most of the people I've been interviewing on the podcast say, oh, that's why you should be on Amazon, which is not a reason to not be on Amazon. It's a very good reason to be on Amazon. Equally, that's not a good reason to not be on Amazon. I think, as you said, it's not either or. It's a false dichotomy, I think. So, and for some reason, the world seems to divide it that way up. Maybe that's just my experience of life, but I know a lot of Amazon sellers. I know people that sell D2C but there doesn't seem to be that much crossover for some reason. Do you think there's a valid, re what do you think's behind that? I think for a lot of folks, they don't see how they can and should leverage the infrastructure they already have to make it almost just an extension, another marketing channel. I think what ends up happening is it ends up becoming almost like an independent business unit, either side, either the marketplaces or the D to C. And it's very hard to run two very separate business units if you're thinking about it that way. And I think you don't have the mental bandwidth. If you're an owner operator, I think that if you've got a marketing department, if you're a little bit bigger, you got a marketing department, they're very focused over here, or you've got all your advertising geared to one direction, all your messaging and marketing, bridging that gap gets very difficult. When I start to talk with folks, I really want to look at all the assets they have. And typically it's, we start with their product catalog. If you've got supply chain figured out and you've got your product catalog clean and your data clean, which typically if you're doing a lot of SKUs and you're up and selling on marketplaces, you've done at least a good chunk of that work. You've already got this incredible asset. Leverage that and get yourself onto a platform or a tool or a system that can allow you to push that data out, whether it's D to C on your website, whether it's over here to Amazon or one of any other myriad of marketplaces. Meaning think about the asset, not as your Amazon marketplace or your D to C website. For me, most cases, it's your unique product data and the value you bring around that and the ability to fulfill message and convey what it is you're selling, push that out to various channels. And now I think you, you're leveraging what you've got and it becomes far less of a mental leap. 
Wow. Okay. It's a lot to take on board here. So let me sorry. just try and say, no, it's, it's great. This is exactly what the e-commerce is, is there. Uh, sorry, I'm this on my other podcast. 10K Collective is there to serve. It's people who are having to wrestle with these difficult questions. The question of bandwidth is really important. As you say, if you can think of it as a subset of one thing, it's really helpful. And I guess my next question you've half answered, which my next question was really, when should you be doing this? So we'll talk about the how in a minute. If you're listening and wondering when we get to it, we will get to the how, I promise. But the when question, I think, is really critical. So you implied you need to have got your products working, I guess, the supply side, the sourcing pretty much in the bag. Are there any other sort of trigger points for saying, yes, now is a good time. Maybe it's not the right time. If, if you're assuming that you're selling on Amazon for that matter, another marketplace to help with the decision, now's the time to put DTC in the mix or it's not the right time. How, how do you make that decision? I think it, it, it's a business case analysis always. I think if you're new to e-commerce and a marketplace like Amazon, is a fantastic place to get your feet wet, right? It's fairly low risk. You get out there, you test, you validate your pricing, you validate your ability to fulfill, you validate, is anybody going to buy anything from you? I think these are all good things. I think very quickly you want to start, and I, and I would have it in my business plan early on, whether that's on a napkin or a full-blown business plan, however it is, but I would be thinking very quickly that I'm going to have my D2C site going because people are going to want to find you anyway. If you've got something room at all unique about you, even if it's just your story, even if it's just selling a chess set in Russia, right? I mean, it's your story can't convey very well on Amazon. Yeah, you got your profile and all these things. People are going to go look for you. They're going to look at your site and they may still go back to Amazon to buy because that's initially where they're going to feel comfortable building that relationship. But not always. I'm going to come over here now and see who you are. I think getting that going in parallel, even if you're not selling immediately off there, is very important. Then you step-by-step -step roll out direct or you roll out uh, something more, maybe unique, a bundle or something you can't quite market on Amazon directly. And, and it's a little bit unique on your site that maybe makes people want to buy from you direct at that point. I think it's very quick as soon as you validate your product, essentially. So for a lot of people that are they're listening, they're, so the target listeners anyway, will already have been in that, that place for years. So I guess what you're talking about is having a site that is, uh, I don't know what the right word is, brand validation, if you like. So people will go on Amazon. Typically, the customer journey would be something like, you know, Amazon's the search engine for products. So you go on Amazon, probably with quite high search intent, uh, shopping intent, I should say, buying intent. Right. You then find a nice product. Maybe, especially if you care about it, it's a gift or it's maybe something that you worried about, had a bad experience or any of those reasons or it's expensive. You're going to probably go and have a Google, right? And then you've got to hit your site and your social assets. But I guess what you're talking about there is then not really a direct-to-consumer site, but a, a sort of backup for your Amazon sales channel. So how do you actually get people to transition from just selling on Amazon? Because obviously you could just get a beautiful looking site, which has no right. um, e-commerce functionality, if that's what you want. And a lot of sites I see around there, people spend a lot of time and effort on the e-commerce functionality, but it's functioning as a branding site. So how do you work out that sort of relationship? I, I would do it almost immediately, if not immediately. I think there's no reason these days why, particularly if you have a fairly simple product line, that you can't just be turning on e-commerce. There's almost no excuse today with your Shopify's and your big commerces of the world. They're inexpensive, easy to get up and running. Whether those are the right platforms for you, it's, and we can dive into that discussion here in a minute, because if you are a bigger, more established company with ERP systems and integration and multi-channel, may not be the right answer. And, and that gets, that makes things more complex immediately. But Wherever you are in this journey, there's no reason why you shouldn't just offer the ability to sell direct. It, it's a fairly, I think a dedicated person in four weeks could have you up and running 
at least at a bare bones level, but looking professional. So that, to me, this is a no, if you've never been there and it scares you, that's no brainer approach. If you've been there and understand it, then you, you're going to take the more detailed approach. You're going to do a proper discovery. We're going to really make sure we've got all stakeholders. We're going to figure out what's going to be my order of record. Where am I going to do my secretization of inventory and all the, it starts to get to be another whole level there. But so it depends on where you're on this journey and we can dive into that hopefully, but there's no reason not to, because this, you can get up and running simply. And so. And yeah. I would, honestly, if you're selling anything on Amazon, and, and I know folks do this to a certain extent, but you got to, whatever you're pa- sending your packaging, there's got to be some value to get them to want to come register with you, to come talk to you. Unless your product is so simple, but even a simple product, I, you're selling a cooking widget. Here, download our recipe book, for heaven's sakes, that makes use of this widget. Anything to get them bought into your, your world, not Amazon world, I think is really important. Because that's where your long-term business value is going to come. There's no question that Amazon businesses today are still increasing in valuation. If if your goal is an exit, there's a lot of consolidation, aggregation. But there's still going to be a bump. I was talking to an M&A expert uh, in this space, and he still said there's still a bump on, on exit valuation when you own the customer, when when you have that relationship. And that pendulum swings back and forth a little bit always, but... Definitely. That's the longer term approach where you're going to get the highest valuation and the ability to grow. I think probably a temporary argument to be made on the aggregator side, I guess that's more my comfort zone because I speak to, I speak to an awful lot of aggregators the last few years and I've okay. uh, seen clients sell to them and friends mm-hmm. sell to them. I guess that I would say this, on the one hand, if you've only got an Amazon sort of focused product, it's going to be very quick and easy to integrate into a business that is focused almost 100% on Amazon. Having said that, one of the biggest plays aggregators make is immediately to set up a D2C site if you haven't got one. And the other thing I would say is, and this is a harder thing to predict, but I think this is something of a bubble. I don't think it's going to disappear. But I would say that the value proposition of having your owning the data, owning the customer relationships is just unarguable, whereas the Amazon aggregator thing has come from nowhere and could go back more in that direction. That's what I would say in favor of D2C. Do you end up in conversations with people who are selling to aggregators since we're going down that that road just to think about the end game of this? If you're creating a business to sell it, which more and more people do consciously now that I work with, and if they haven't consciously thought about it, they're now thinking of it or planning for it actively. If you're in a conversation with somebody like that, how do you position their D2C presence? No, we have not talked again. We tend to work with clients that are pharma that are either have a plan to be long-term in business and e-commerce or are well-established companies and either they're improving what they've got or going in, but going in with a 20 year vision. So I don't talk too often directly with people that are saying, I want to create this business to sell to an aggregator to do it. It doesn't happen in my world too often. My, my personal opinion is it's speculative. And fine and good. And if you can take advantage of the opportunity, great. But I, I don't think that's a long-term business play. I think that the, the pendulum could swing on you very quickly, I think. And I'm not sure what direct value you bring at that point that somebody else couldn't recreate fairly quickly also. And I think that's always what we're talking about. What makes a business unique, right? Anybody could, anybody, most anybody could sell a, a widget or a product and then solve that equation. It's what you bring around that, that I think creates that extra value, that extra margin, that long-term valuation fuel. I think you're right. And so the mechanics of getting ranked on Amazon or creating a sort of mediocre product, probably not what the longer-term value is that somebody's going to want to buy, really. I think you're right. I think the aggregators are waking up to that. And the valuations 
I suspect going forwards for mediocre businesses on Amazon will be lower. I was speaking to my friend Ben Leonard, who's a business broker who sold okay. a business to Amazon that was very Amazon focused, sorry, to an aggregator. He's Amazon focused, but he's also quite a savvy email and marketing operator, for example. So he had a D2C site that was like 5% of his sales or something. Yeah. But so in other words, he knows what he's talking about. And he said that aggregator is probably going to put less value on a mediocre brand, but more on a big brand, which comes back to the D2C as a subset of brand building. Is that really the main value that you're bringing? Or what can you articulate in really concrete terms if someone's going to have to give up four weeks of their life just to get a basic Shopify site? And that's not a lot of time. Big I commerce. Recognize. We said big commerce, right? Big or commerce. Big commerce. Just say big commerce. Okay. <laughs> so let's say big commerce. And they're going to do that. But obviously, they could be developing another product line, you know, working on the marketing on Amazon. There's always an opportunity cost. So justify that for them in really concrete terms. What are you going to get for your, your time that you take away from Amazon? Like any bit, you're going to have to do your return on ad spend and all these good things. But at the end of the day, you're going to, just like Amazon gives you reach to certain customers, having your own D2C site is going to give you also a broader reach. And whether you're using paid search, SEO, social marketing, whatever pieces you're going to go here, I think that's going to expand your reach to other people also. Two, and I think this is where it's really important, is the ability to configure and bundle your products in unique ways and, and present them in different ways. You're not just doing a single SKU. You don't have to do just a single SKU. You're going to be able to present unique add-ons or maybe even subscription type things with your products, depending on whether they're, they're they can curate or there's things that are replenishable. I just think it allows you to get deeper with the client. I think things like live chat or responding in social. You're going to have a relationship with these clients that an Amazon seller is not going to be able to have. And you're going to be able to be ahead of the curve. You're going to know when maybe tastes are changing. If you're in a fast changing industry, you're going to be able to anticipate issues that clients are having and maybe solve those and be ahead of the game. Uh, and then as soon as you become remotely an expert in this, where am I going to go? I'm a woodworker. I love woodworking. It gets me away from, from screens. Okay. And there isn't a tool out there that I probably don't feel I need, meaning I could probably find a reason to buy every single tool in the tool catalog, much to my family's chagrin because the basement's full. At the end of the day, I might start on Amazon to look right for tools these days uh, and get an idea of what pricing might be in the lowest pricing. But then I always, I almost always end up on the manufacturer's site or the main distributor's site because they've got the YouTube video on how to use it. They've got the, there's going to be a Q&A that I'm going to be able to go back and say, I can't figure out how to make this thing, do this, that, or the other. And I feel this affinity. And is it worth the extra 5% for me sometimes? Or is it just worth it that you know, I was there and they convinced me to buy and they gave me that immediate coupon and it was within the range of Amazon anyway? Yeah. And then now they got a relationship with me and, uh, and now I get 49 catalogs. It's, I think that's the value. And I think that's where you stand out immediately. I guess we spend a lot of time on why we should do this, which I think is not a bad question when you're about to devote <laughs> serious yeah. time and effort to something. Yeah. But okay, let's get a bit more into the how do we start with this. And so let's assume that we've got somebody, let's take a, a, a typical mastermind member. Let's say they've got, I don't know, 20 SKUs on Amazon. They're doing maybe a million dollars a year. So by, by the standards of many of the people you work with, maybe pretty small. And they want to start the DTC site and they're convinced by the value of all these things you talked about, broader reach. Um, ability to showcase a catalog, obviously, hopefully upsell, downsell, cross-sell, increase the lifetime customer value, super hard to do on Amazon. Yeah. Um, and that relationship, all of which you can package up and to sell to somebody as a more valuable business. So assuming that we buy into the value prop. Okay. And what do they do next? And what are the classic things that people do wrong that they shouldn't do next? I, I think that step one, even if you're only got 20 SKUs, you can have a complex product. And so we want to look at and see what is it that I'm going to do with this product line that is going to make it stand out and be unique in my D2C site. 
So I think I would immediately just scan the market. I will look to see what other D2C sites selling my products. How are they positioning? Where are they positioning? What do I think my unique position in the market is going to be? Because this is my opportunity to build a story, right? And this is going to be how I'm going to be different. Unless you've got a truly unique product. Okay. A hundred percent, in which case that's an easier thing to do. Or you're a manufacturing, you've got that whole backstory. I also think that's another great opportunity, right? Or you're an exclusive distributor. Any of those things allow you to create story immediately. But if you've got something has a lot of other people that are selling something similar or identical, and you want to really think about why am I, what is unique about what I'm bringing to the market here that I can add to this? We've got boat part sellers, right? But they, the people that own that company are dedicated boaters. And so they can talk about this product. In a, even in a 30 second YouTube short and throw it on the product page, that does more validation than almost anything else. And so because, ah, they know how to use this thing. They're not just reselling it and marketing it up. So I think you want to be thinking about that. Why is my presentation unique? If it's purely just the same thing as anything else, harder sell, right? Then I'm going to be probably competing on price. So that's A. B, I'm going to look at and say, who are all my stakeholders? And this can be really pretty small. I'll see to consumers, but do I have sales reps that are dealing with these products? Do I have customer service reps that are dealing with this? Do I have an owner or do I have a CTO or do I, is it me, right? Who are all the people that are going to have to deal with this website in some way? And we usually do a, a real simple matrix, especially we share with everybody. Just look, list all your stakeholders here, list all their dreams. What's the priorities, right? And you work through this matrix on your own. And then we usually come in and help people, even small sites, it's worth doing the exercise because you start to think about what you need that site to do. Now I can take that information and go, can I fit into a turnkey SaaS tool like a big commerce or Shopify? And does that cover 98% of what I need? Assuming all the business risks me on SaaS platforms and all that good stuff. And if the answer is yes, that's probably going to be a good answer for you day one. Or does my product require complex configurations and interdependent options and conditional pricing and all these things that move beyond the ability of a turnkey platform, off-the-shelf platform, and I need more custom. And so in this case, I might be either in the big commerce or magenta world where I have a little more flexibility to, or a lot more flexibility to present the exact way I need to. So those are going to be the deciding points. Our goal here always is not to make technology the focus. The technology is, and I'm a technology company, I want people to use us, of course, but I want the technology to fall to the back so that it becomes always about the business decision. And that's what we're always consulting with folks about. Look, they say, I want this feature, this function, I want this design. Okay. Is it an ego thing or is it really driving the business? And if it's an ego thing, that's okay. If that's what you want, if it's a brand, this is just, I want my story told this way and I'm willing to spend the money for that. Great. But it, we all know that it's not necessarily going to drive return on investment. Others are very much on a, I only want to do anything that's going to drive bottom line. And so this is what we want to understand at the beginning as well, um, as we walk through that analysis. Wow. Okay. This is great stuff. So broadly, how do you get to stand out? So unique positioning, which I think by the way, is a very healthy to be forced to answer that question. Cause if you don't stand up on Amazon, it's even more brutal than a Google search and, and uh, D2C, but people can kid themselves about it because stuff is happening. So I think having to think about that's great. Who are the stakeholders? And that's a really good question. Who's got to use the damn thing once you built it? And what do you need to decide to do? And by the way, I love that way of saying the business case comes first, that technology serves it, because it's so easy with off-the-shelf products, isn't it, to get something because you've been marketed to that it's attractive, your friends are doing it, and you think, oh, therefore I will twist my business case to, to fit, you name, name a platform. Other way, if I name one, I'm going to kick off a load of arguments, so I can't be bothered with that. It doesn't matter what the platform is. So yeah, do you right. see a lot of people falling into that trap, or is it just a side yeah. issue? All the time. Oh, I think people easily 
I fall into this trap and I've been doing this for over 20 years. We look at the plan and go, oh, I'm going to get all of that's going to work perfectly for me and I'm going to make my millions and it's just going to work. The reality is nine out of 10 folks, myself included, over six months down the road and go, wow, we're only using 10% of that platform. Wait a minute. So did I really need this giant platform if I was never going to leverage all these wonderful, amazing features? So a lot of times what we'll do with folks is say, hey, if this platform still makes sense, let's start really leveraging it because you really only get the value usually out of a platform where you really can use what it's, you know, what it's got there. Barring exceptions, right? I need to be on this platform for a very specific reason because it integrates with this specific ERP system or something along those lines. And there's a reason why I'm doing that. But if there isn't one of those things, you don't want to overbuy. Because you end up overcomplicating and then things, technology then becomes the forefront and you're always putting out fires because you're not, you're not getting the pure value out of a large platform at that point. Better to start smaller, simpler. And even if that means you might change in a year or two, which likely you may outgrow or you don't, can't foresee exactly where you're going to be in two, three years. I still think you're ahead of the game if you are maximizing everything out of what you've invested in versus always clawing for the next 5% of the usage, 10%, 12%, you know, you just, technology always becomes, I think, a hurdle at that point. Can you give us a concrete example of that? Because I think I know what you mean, but can okay. you give us some concrete examples? All right. We, okay, I can give two examples. I'm going to use it even internally. We, we don't sell account, right? We're an agency. So we're all about lead generation. And so my team came to me and said, hey, we want to move to HubSpot. And I said, Okay, HubSpot's being a CRM, CMS, really popular. Look, this is a major platform. If we're going to do this. I want to know that the business case suggests that we're not going to just be a year and a half from now. I'm going to be going back and going, why is it we're just sending an email every other day of the week and I don't have any CRM leads in here that are tracked and our website is still over on WordPress, right? I'm not interested in just buying a tool that has the promise of amazing returns if we don't have a de dedicated plan to leverage that tool completely. And if we're not, let's find a tool where we can leverage completely. And so in our own world, because we've made that mistake, we have bought into PM project management systems. We've bought into CRM systems. We've bought into every system under the sun, probably in my lifetime of doing this stuff. And you're always scratching at it. And the technology, even in our world, we're, we're square peg round hole. And so we had to really learn this issue. In e-com, I will see people say, I've got to be on, so like in the Magento world I've, world, I've got Commerce Edition, which is the paid enterprise edition, essentially, and I've got open source. And people say, I've got to be on Commerce Edition. Okay, great. We love Commerce Edition. There's a lot of great things about it. Tell me about your business case. Oh, I've got this one product. I'm doing less than a million dollars a year, $2 million a year. I don't integrate with anything. I don't, you know. And also, what's the commerce edition for? There's a lot of platform here that you're going to spend to maintain. I'm thinking I'm going to be doing this, this, and this. Okay. How real? This is where it really comes down to how real and how fast are you going to execute on that? Because maybe again, better to start with something you can get your head around and use and leverage and not be wasting a lot of overhead on and outgrow it. Try to get ahead of the game, but essentially force yourself to outgrow it and then move into something more complex. Okay. That makes more sense. So in other words, what you're saying is force yourself to get something that is just about got enough functionality to do what you need it to do now and then force yourself to outgrow your platform rather than buy something which has got lots of potential to grow in that you think you maybe you get you're excited about doing but you don't have a seriously concrete plan is that a fair summary of have i no, i think so yeah. i think there are folks that have been down this path many times and know what they're going to need and know how fast they're going to get there and and it can make they can lever even if it's going to be a year or two before they can leverage it fully they know where they're going but if you if we're talking about folks that have never gone d to c 
it's really easy to get convinced of the next greatest thing. There's always a new DTC platform on the market. And it's really easy to go in and say, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a lot more to get this thing because it's the latest and greatest, for example, or it's got all these features. And the reality is nine out of 10 times, you're not going to end up using half those features a year from now and you're going to be stuck. So what I want to do is when we're telling people how to pick a platform, right? Not only have we done that needs analysis we talked about earlier and who all the stakeholders are, but also how well can you support a custom platform or do you need to be on something that's going to do a lot of the heavy lifting behind for you? Are you technically able? Do you have an IT department? Do you not? Do you intend to grow this direction or that direction? These are the kinds of questions that are going to indicate whether you're buy versus build, whether you're doing SaaS or PaaS, right? Platform as a service, or you're doing full on custom. These are the questions that we want to get to pretty quickly in a needs analysis, because otherwise you're going to find yourself with more that you can handle and you'll just be wasting money and time. And this is for large companies as well. We see yes. this even in very large companies. I we're wrestling with this right now with a well-established company. They've been around 50 years. They're smart. They've got, they do their own dev. They don't do much in the way of web development. And we ran into this issue where marketing had a vision. The IT department who actually has the budget and the deliverable responsibility saw a vastly different vision. And these, and then we were caught in the middle, not realizing which vision we were supposed to be <laughs> scoping out. And, and thankfully nobody started and we didn't pull the trigger or anything. They came back and boy, there was not a meshing of the interest. And they were going to be on a platform that was, yes, they would have grown into, but man, it was going to be probably a 10 year plan. But it's, it's like, wow, that's a long I time in technology. Let me tell you, yeah. I, I always tell people, look, if we get three years out of any platform investment, we're, we're happy campers these days. And just things change relatively quickly. Okay. So that brings up the obviussy question that the awkward thing of the big sort of argument, by the way, I'm tapping away for you folks. If you can hear me typing, it's because I'm making notes for you, which you can find over at the blog, 10kcollective.com. On that, you really, the awkward question in the room is it, the reason the big reason why you might buy something you don't need now is because you're going to grow into it. And the reason that matters is because you really don't want to be changing platforms. It's like changing boats midstream you know, it, while everything's happening. But what you said, if you're going to get three years out of a platform investment implies that you're going to have to need a major upgrade or possibly change platforms anyway. Tell me about platform changing. That sounds like a nightmare. Do you just try and avoid it completely? Or do you say, we're going to have to do it. So bite the bullet, get what you need now and change later. What's your take on that? Two kinds of clients I get in my world are what we call rest and the dreamers. And the rescues are they're on a platform. It may be the wrong platform. It just may be set up incorrectly, but it is the right platform. It may be just that they've never had a good relationship with somebody that can help them support it. So you get all that issue going on. And then you get the others that are, I want this thing to be my savior. I want, even if they're well-established, I, I, I fully intend this thing to do everything under the sun and make me millions of dollars. And we all want that. Um, what we want to do in both those situations is get back to the business basics. What is your number one goal here? Is it for e-com? Is it to get new clients in? Maybe it's because you're on Amazon and you want to get over to D to C. Is it to increase average order value of my existing clients? Is it to bring them back, right? Those are usually the three biggest. You know, increasing average order value for established companies is a nice one because they've already got people coming back. So I'm trying to figure out ways to uh, get a higher sale level. But those are the usually the three biggest motivations. In our B2B world, there can be other things, more lead gen or, or quote development and that kind of thing, but it's still in the same buckets. So when we're talking to folks, we want to sit there and go, okay, and what do we expect to happen here? If you, what's your worst case, what's your best case scenario? And then, and then we layer that on with the features and functions they're expecting today and what they think they're out about a year or two. That's going to drive some of the platform decisions. And I think obviously the goal, hopefully the goal is that you're going to be able to at least live within the same ecosystem 
for many years. And you just know that you're going to probably be doing standard upgrades and updates along the way. And then there's going to be a major shift, probably a version shift or something where if you've got hardcore integrations and with ERP systems and omni-channel and you're balancing inventory across things, that's going to, you got to know that within three years, you're going to be doing almost essentially the same amount of money that you did day one, you're going to be redoing, even if it's within the same platform. Hopefully though, your learning curve has settled down and it's just, and it's by the numbers at that point and the technology is still sitting in the background. That's the ideal world. But if your world didn't pan out the way you expected, there might be a time to say, ah, maybe my platform does need to shift. Or maybe my industry has a platform has risen that has really catered to my industry very specifically. We see this pendulum swing back and forth. Sometimes, wow, there's some really great solutions that take into account the nuances of a particular industry. And that can be very useful. Again, usually it lasts three, four or five years. And then, and then things have changed again in the market and you have to reevaluate. So as much as you can stay within the ecosystem, great. But it's, I'd say it's 50-50 shot you're going to. Okay, that's a very nice reality check. I think it's the. <laughs> I think it's important to have goals, but also some kind of sense of how realistic it is to yeah. achieve them. And I think that's very helpful. Fifty cent chance that you will stay within the same ecosystem for three years or whatever, but equally you should aim to do it because it's going to be a lot of work. And equally, what you said, another reality check: <laughs> if you're integrating with other things, an ERM, what's that? Enterprise resource management system. Planning. Planning. Yeah, 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 planning. yeah, yeah. So the ERP. Sorry. Um, CRM, by the way, I try and make sure there are no three letter abbreviations. So that's a customer resource management or sort of email plus could be anything integrating email, SMS contacts, phone calls, etc. But anyway, if you're, whatever you're doing, if it's integrating with other things, what you're saying is you're going to have to spend about the same amount of money, effectively the same kind of cost as if you were changing platform every three years anyway. Is that right? I think so. I mean, yeah. if you're growing okay. and you're integrating and you're developing, even just Yes, I, I think so. I, I think we always try, people always want to believe no, but at the end of the day, it always ends up being that way. But I, I guess one the, one of the things that I think is helpful for this, for somebody who's really at the early stage of that journey is don't stress about making a perfect platform decision that's going to be valid for 10 years, because what you're saying is you've got a 50-50 shot. And even if you get it right in three years time, it's going to feel almost the same and financially as if you got it wrong anyway. So I, I guess that takes the pressure off that decision. <laughs> I think right? it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's a primitive way of putting it. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge reduction. So in other words, don't stress about being perfect. You do your best to make it be meticulous about the research to maximize the chance of it being right, which is what you're saying. And the stakeholder analysis sounds like a really good idea to me. And quite often in a smaller situation, we've got two business partners and a few VAs knocking around. You'll have one business partner that gets in the bee in his bonnet. The other person goes, yeah, whatever, it's your pet project. And, and then there's no consultation at all. So uh, I would say the chances of you changing platform are going to be much higher there. So I, I love the fact that you, again, what you're saying, you've got a huge technological background and, and experience and, and very clearly a, a great passion for this. You, you, I can see the fun that you have for this stuff, but yeah, I love the fact that you bring it back to business basics. I, I think it's funny how often can it comes back to that, right? If your business case isn't solid and there's not a good reason for doing something, then it doesn't matter what you do. It's going to go wrong. And equally the other way around, you'll figure it out is what I'm getting from you. So obviously, however, you guys are experts at DTC for people. Tell us a bit about what you do if people are curious to learn more from you or get some help. I mean, we are very, what, how do you help people is the critical. Step one is just whether they're just starting their e-commerce journey or they've been in it and they want to improve it. We love that conversation. Even if we're not going to be the right 
partner long-term for them, we love the initial conversation because we always learn something as well. And, but we'll help people at a 10,000 foot level initially just say, Hey, what's going right? What's going wrong? Where do we see the opportunities right now? We're in this industry and we, and I'm not a coder. I came up from the business side of things and I've got a lot of smarter people on my team that do all the heavy lifting on the technology. And we can bring in both those perspectives on any call with folks and help them think about that. Then if we are a good fit, you know, we can usually ascertain that pretty quickly with somebody. We'll usually go into some version of a discovery or needs analysis or code review, depending if it's a rescue, but understanding those stakeholders, what are you trying to accomplish and what's not working today? And whether that's with an existing platform or the dream of a platform. And then from there, we're going to help guide the, the selection process. And if it's a, and if it's a, one of the few tools that we specialize in, then we're obviously going to pitch our service to be to build that for them. If it's not, we will send somebody in and suggest them other folks that we think would be a good fit. Great. Uh, that sounds like a, a really valuable thing because you're starting macro to micro. It's a big picture, the small picture, which again, as a general, it sounds incredibly generalized to say it, but I, again, that across business, that if you start at the detail end, it really always goes horribly wrong. Very good. And strategically, I should say, what are the tools that you do specialize in? Because you, you mentioned big commerce. So, so what are the Magento? So Magento so you, and big yeah. commerce are our two, the two platforms that we today will still think are probably the best solutions for most companies. And this is a broad based answer, but, and then we also do custom builds with microservices and things where somebody has a truly unique product or, or business case that can't fit within an off the shelf, a commercial off the shelf type of platform. And you know, so that's where we, we specialize. We chose big commerce over Shopify about a year and a half ago as our core partner, because we just looked and said, we felt the APIs and the ability to grow and configure within that SaaS tool were still more flexible and allow for companies to, yeah, I think grow and scale in a way that I, I think you're just a little more limited in a Shopify world, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. And I can hear the, the argument starting already because this is oh. going on social media. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you feel strongly, feel free to pop something in the comments. It's yeah, always yeah. a fun debate. But I mean, I think, um, yeah. again, this is a kind of how many angels dance on the head of a pin kind of debate sometimes. I think like if you haven't got any kind of business case and you don't have any conversations under your belt with somebody about D2C, then go and talk to somebody. If, if you can get hold of somebody with your level of expertise, I'd be very lucky, I think, because, yeah, I like the fact that you start with a big picture and you end up with a technology platform rather than being really partisan about it. And the fact yes. that you considered yeah. Shopify rather than just dismissing it and you've really looked into it. Interesting conversation, yeah, because I get a lot of uh, WordPress is amazing, WordPress is awful, Shopify is amazing, and you, know, you get those conversations that are platform specific. It's a bit like party politics; it just gets ugly, and people stop thinking, don't they? So, it, it, and I will tell folks to know it if you love it and it fits with you. Again, we want the technology to fall to the back, right? I don't want somebody to get. I don't want somebody to spend five, ten, fifty. Well, in some cases, five hundred thousand dollars because e-commerce sites can range anywhere from you can get up and running for five hundred bucks. You can spend half a million dollars. It really goes this gamut, and you can do that on a Shopify platform. Heck, you could do that on WooCommerce and WordPress. Okay, so it's a question of really looking at the whole picture, and this is where I think people need a third party, and hopefully an unbiased third party to really help them say, okay, what am I getting out of this? And is it going to get me at least from A to B over the next three years? I think this is my rough order of magnitude. And, that, and if the answer to those questions is yes, then Shopify can be just fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you, you're perfectly willing to say Shopify is good. And I have those conversations okay. as well, yeah. just because you specialize in something. I, I had somebody approach me today for private label Amazon, you know, business model consulting. And I said to her, look, yeah. this is not the business model. I specialize in talk to these guys over here. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to get 
anything out of that, I think, virtually, which is a bit painful. But I think <laughs> if somebody has the, yep. the ability to stand back and do a needs analysis for the client, that's the person you want to be talking to. Um, talking of talking to, I guess we better wrap this up because I, uh, I know we've all got to dash off and do other things. But if people aren't quite in the position where they want to have a full-on consultation with you, but want to keep following what it is you're doing and learning from you, what's the best place to you know follow you on the web? I'd say there's two spots. We have launched our Shaping E-Commerce with Iron Plane, where all the much smarter people than me on my team share their knowledge about stuff and that they've gleaned over the last 10, 15 years. So that's on YouTube and wherever you like listening to podcasts, uh, Shaping E-Commerce with Iron Plane. Love it if people like and subscribe to that. And then seriously, you can find me on LinkedIn. I love the conversation and my team loves having these conversations. So hit me up. You got a question? I'm happy to share my insights. Great. So that's Shaping E-Commerce by Iron Play and yeah. the good podcast or YouTube near you. And yeah, LinkedIn, it's funny. I, a lot of people don't use LinkedIn much. So I'm one of those people. And then some people in the mastermind actually swear by it. So obviously you're one of those people that is a, a big LinkedIn user. In the business world, it's often where the real conversation happens, not on Facebook. I think so. I you know yeah. we're, we're being dragged, kicking and screaming into Facebook these days. And my director of content says, we have to be in this market and I'm like, or social, this conversation. I'm like, Okay, <laughs> you know, I have no idea. But yeah, LinkedIn is typically where I'll respond. Hey folks, thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective Podcast. Another interview with an expert today, Robert Giovannini of Iron Plane. Um, so much to take from Robert today. I mean, I think really, in a sense, speaking to Amazon sellers who are, you know, doing six, seven, eight, you know, significant seven figure, or even edging towards eight figures. A lot of them really want the DTC sites, as I said to Robert. A lot of them don't know how to do it. And I think somebody like uh, Robert has a really great way of looking at it because he's always based on the business case analysis and not obsessed with a particular platform. And I think that's really helpful. He's got a broader view than somebody who's just Shopify obsessed or WordPress obsessed or WooCommerce or whatever. Um, yes, they seem to be focused on big commerce and Magento. So if you're particularly looking for an expert on that, They'd be great people to talk to. But I think that overview that he has of the situation is is the one of the things that I'm taking from today, you know, that he's able to think big picture to small picture. So why do you want to do this? What's the business case? If it works for your business and makes sense, how do you go about it? So talking of which, if you want to hit up Robert and his team, um, the easiest place is probably going to be to simply uh, look up Iron Plan. I'm just having a look to see uh, what, what we recommended. So you can basically hit up Robert on LinkedIn or the YouTube channel, or you can look up Iron Plane, Iron Plane, I-R-O-N-P-L-A-N-E.com. So iron as in ironing board and plane as in something that flies through the air. Um, ironplane.com and just, just hit them up there and the contact us button is easily found and they will um, be great people to talk to if you want to get some guidance. Um, I'm personally very impressed with Robert and his breadth of thinking and his enthusiasm. He's very unsalesy. Uh, so uh, a great person to get some quality advice from if you are thinking you need some advice in this area. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. The final thing to say, two things. Number one, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast channel of choice, Apple, uh, Spotify, whatever it is for you. Second thing is if you're on Apple or Spotify or anywhere that allows you to leave a rating or a star rating, don't forget to give us a rating out of five stars. It really, really helps other people get the best content and help them be a successful six, seven, or even eight figure happy Amazon seller. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. 
It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.